1: Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and today I'm joined by Jacob Mukherjee. We'll be discussing Britain's housing crisis, what that crisis means for the major political parties and the post-Thatcherite settlement. And we'll also be discussing efforts to organise tenants in the private rented sector. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast and you can also follow on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at PolTheoryOther. If you like the podcast, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Uh, The following is a uh, non-exhaustive list of podcasts that currently have a greater number of ratings than this show. Uh, The Spectator Daily Podcast, The Mogcast, which if you've not had the pleasure is uh, Jacob Rees Mog's show, Real Time with Bill Maher, George Galloway's The Mother of All Talk Shows, and perhaps most distressingly of all, Nick Clegg's Anger Management Show. I'm sure that, like me, you don't want to live in a world where any of these shows have more ratings than uh, PTO, as no one but myself is calling it, so please do consider rating the show. The podcast also now has its own Patreon page. Any donations will be much appreciated. You can find the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Jacob Mukherjee recently completed a PhD at Goldsmiths on political organising in London, entitled Our London, grassroots activism in the post fordist City. He works as a campaigner for an organisation fighting to improve security and to enhance the power of private renters. And he's also a member of the newly launched London Renters' Union. He speaks here in a personal capacity. So Jacob, obviously, uh, the housing crisis has become a major issue in in UK politics in in recent years. It was a very significant factor during last year's general election, and and appears to have helped Labour to pick up huge numbers of younger voters. Before we go into into further detail, could could you just outline the scope and the and the seriousness of the housing crisis in Britain, and and specifically how the private rented sector uh, fits into that crisis?
0: Yep, certainly. So. Um, I guess for most people in their everyday experience, uh, the housing crisis is to do with obviously high house prices and not being able to buy, um, high rents and struggling to pay the rent, especially um, in the private rented sector, and a shortage of kind of suitable housing altogether, I guess. And that's particularly the case for people um, on lower incomes um, because there's a shortage of social housing. Um, What I think... um, the what's behind the housing crisis um, and i should say that this is something that a lot of other people know a lot more about than me Um, my particular area of expertise is around private rent rather than broader dynamics but i think in a nutshell you could say that housing which is something that should be an entitlement or a right um, and should be at least in some sense conceived as a public service is in fact in this country um, a commodity uh, and is treated as such by by governments, by investors and, and by ordinary people. Um, in terms of how that came about, well, there's a story um, that's often told um, about the development since the 80s, um, that is since Margaret Thatcher's election and since the advent of like the neoliberal era um, and about how some of the Dynamics and reforms in that period have basically reversed um, the social democratic reforms on housing that had happened earlier. And that's an important story. Um, But I would also mention that there's a a story that that goes that starts a bit earlier, basically, um, and is to do with some kind of more deep rooted problems with housing in Britain. But in terms of um, terms of the social democratic era and then what Thatcher did with that, well, so in the early 20th century, right up to the war, Uh, Very, very few people actually owned a home. Um, There was obviously very little social housing. That is public housing, housing completely outside of the market provided by by the state. Um, And most people um, rented from a private landlord um, because you had very few property owners and loads of people needing housing. Um, The Labour government and also other conservative governments after the war um, set about changing that situation by doing a couple of things, basically building loads of social housing, also regulating rents um, that people paid in private rent. Um, but at the same time economic changes you know basically redistribution of wealth and increases in living standards allowed loads of people to buy their own homes. Um, so you had a situation where home ownership increased and also the amount of social housing increased to the point where I think a third of people in the UK and lived in, in a council house, social housing by 1980 and uh, nearly half the population in Scotland. And then Thatcher came in in, in 1979 um, and uh, saw it as a huge part of her mission to basically let the market rip in terms of housing and um, you know push back against what was basically the decommodification of housing that successive governments had had um, set in train. Um, and so the key policy I guess here is, Something called right to buy, which um, people might have heard of, hugely significant because basically what that did was it allowed those people living in social housing, as I say, millions of people, a third of the population, to buy uh, to buy their homes. So it kind of you know turned them into uh, owners and turned them into investors, gave them something of that mindset, and it also it, it depleted the amount of social housing available because it um, uh, you know councils weren't allowed to. To replace the stock that had been lost. Um, so as well as that, during the kind of neoliberal era, during the 80s in particular, there was freeing up of credit um, to allow more people to, to get mortgages and to buy homes. Um, investment in social housing went down. And what you have today then, as well as what I mentioned before with high house prices and rents, you've also got a situation where Housing actually plays a really, really crucial role um, and rising house prices play a a crucial role in sustaining the economy and sustaining the kind of sort of social model that we have. So um, basically, the economy needs rising house prices because that's what, you know, people continuing to take out mortgages um, means, you know, keeps the banks and being able to pay back their mortgages. Gives the banks liquidity, keeps you know keeps spending levels high, keeps the economy going. It's the only thing that's really growing in this country. But also for individuals, they need, especially those who own homes, and it's now something like two thirds or more who do, they need the price of their property to keep growing as well, so that they can cash in on it to pay for their their elderly care, which isn't really paid for by the state in any significant way today. Um, so the, the problem with the house price, the housing crisis rather, is not simply that that prices are high; it's also that you know, we are almost addicted as an economy and as a society to the very thing which is um, which is making life very difficult and very miserable for so many people, which is rising property prices. Um, just to point out, then I, I mentioned there was some other stuff that you know be, before the the Thatcher story um, becomes relevant, um, and and that is that the post-war governments not only did they fail to kind of completely decommodify housing, because um, although they built a lot of social housing. Um, it, it didn't ever become the majority form of tenure. But as well as that, they didn't redistribute land. Um, and this is this is really crucial. Um, and again, something that other people know a lot about. Uh, the New Economics Foundation in particular have been doing some great work on this. The rising land prices um, are linked to the fact that we have very few people owning land and, and, and speculating on that land, um, deciding what's built on it, if anything, um, deciding how much to sell it for, and um this pushes up prices even for councils wanting to build social housing and it means that the government and, and the public can't actually can't actually build the housing that it needs um you asked about private rent uh, well where this fits in is that basically the number of proportion of people leaving living in in the private rented sector has has massively increased particularly in the last decade or so it's it's almost doubled or more than doubled actually in the past um uh, just over a decade since I think 2004. Um, and the reason for that is there's there's less social housing and how, prices to buy are so high that loads of people have no choice but to rent from private landlords. And this puts an increasing number of people, a fifth of the population now, into the most neoliberal form of housing tenure, basically, the most free market form of housing, um, in the sense that there's very little regulation um, on, in terms of standards. There's more, more or less no controls on rents. It's a very individualized relationship between an individual tenant or a bunch of tenants and an individual landlord who wants to make a profit. It's basically depoliticized in the sense that it's very difficult to organize renters collectively. Just something we, we might come back to. So it, it's it's absolutely crucial because just as you know, more and more people are in non-unionized workplaces and precarious work, more and more people are now in, in, in uh, you know, non-organized uh, and non-collective forms of housing tenure um, and precarious housing tenure as well. And the reason they're precarious is because in England and Wales, we have basically the shortest tenancies in Europe of, um, of six months only minimum. Um, uh, most renters end up being on either six month or 12 months contracts. The reason for that is that that was another reform which Thatcher brought in in 1988 Um, Before that time, tenancies had been more or less indefinite, Um, as long as the tenant was paying the rent they could stay there, the landlord found it quite hard to evict, but that should change that by making tenancies six months as standard and also giving landlords the power to evict tenants with um, uh, what's called Section 21 powers, and that allows landlords to evict tenants, even if the tenant's not at fault, Uh, they don't even have to give a reason, they can do that after as little as six months. Um, and this made renters much, much more precarious, um, the most precarious renters in Europe. And it also another thing it created as well as the precarious private renter is the buy-to-let investor. So this this was done, this reform in 1988, to make buy-to-let investment more attractive, to allow uh, people to buy houses, let them out, and then when they want to cash in, dispose of their tenants by evicting them um, and sell that house. And that is further fueling the commodification of housing and the the increase in house prices
1: so so you mentioned that uh, the different conditions regarding tenants rights prevail in in different parts of western europe and um it's of course quite well known that in places like Germany there are rent controls and, and long-term tenancies and so on. Um, is the is the relative lack of tenants rights in the UK a, a consequence of Britain simply being a more thoroughly neoliberalised country? Um, is it the case that countries like Germany are actually on, on more or less the same sort of track that we're on regarding housing but that they're not quite so far down the line? Um, or is it instead that the gains have actually been achieved in in, in the housing sector in, in other parts of uh, of Western Europe more recently?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I I don't know all all of the answer to that, to be honest. But um, what I do know is that um, there are some places where in Europe where rent, renting has always been more secure. Like it, it's been more secure in Germany for a long, long time. So it's not a case of renters having one victory. It's as you say, it's a case that um, the uh, the 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 neoliberal rollback of of renters rights and of security hasn't happened um, in countries like germany uh, maybe it will And um, uh, in in a sense the, the situation is kind of a bit self-reinforcing in places like germany because renters are more secure they're, they're better organized and tenants unions are much much stronger so i guess it becomes harder for governments to put push that kind of stuff through um but basically, I think yeah, what what you said initially is is basically right. Uh, this insecurity of renters is is because Britain is thought more thoroughly neoliberalised. Uh, what I, one country I do know a little bit about is Spain, and I know that renters there have been under attack since the kind of financial crisis hit Spain, um, and uh, they've they've now lost indefinite tenancies, and they're now three years. Um, so there's been a, an attack on security there, um, and at the same time. Um, the, the size of their own rented sector has increased. Um, so more and more people are, are in that kind of insecure housing. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think it is, it is basically uh, a function of, of Britain being more le- neoliberalised. And I'd say the other thing worth mentioning is is the thing about buy to let investments and becoming being like a, a quite a crucial uh, aspect of our Overall housing economy in a way that it isn't in other European countries, and because buy-to-let investment is is, is important, we need to keep keep the buy-to-let investors happy, which means uh, we need to we need to maintain um, the lack of security of tenants so that landlords can evict them when when they want to cash in.
1: So on the question of the private rented sector, um, so you're personally involved in, in organising uh, renters in London. Um, London is obviously notorious for its, its high house prices and, and high rents and, and renting is more common in London than the rest of the country and uh, as is well known that the city is a major site of uh, property speculation of course. Um, could you explain what the major differences are between the housing crisis within London um, and the housing crisis outside of the city?
0: So um, to sum it up, I mean, you could say that uh, the, the problem of the rent being way too high um, is is more of a London problem than it is for anywhere else, really, in the UK. Uh, there are high rents, certainly, relative to wages in other, um, in other cities, big cities in, in the UK, but it's off the scale in London. Um, and that is, is partly simply because um, property prices overall are really high in London. And that's that's you know largely a function of property speculation. So, uh, especially in in the aftermath of the financial crisis, uh, kind of global capital, um, the, the the super wealthy have needed somewhere to uh, a sort of safe bet um, to bank their income. And there's nowhere safer than London property. Basically, now I think it's it's now basically out alone as the as the number one destination for um, super prime property investors um th- throughout the world uh, and so so that means that rents are, are much higher um uh, than they are elsewhere there's also more pressure on um on rents uh because of the attacks on social housing and and austerity generally which has hit london far worse than well at least in in in, in terms of um uh social housing um has had more impact on london so the benefit caps which um uh You know, both the cap on overall household benefits um, and the cap on housing benefit um, have hit London far worse than anywhere else because obviously prices are higher. And so you've got what you've got there is, um, you know, people possibly forced out of uh, private rent, private rent, uh, a particular private rented flat and having to look for another flat. Um, Social housing sell offs in London as well have have meant that there are more people. Um, trying to find accommodation in, in social housing, uh, sorry in private rented sector. So you've got that stuff. in the rest of the UK and what what the whole of the UK has in common is problems with conditions um, and that that is the problem anywhere. Um, conditions and insecurity because and that's all to do with the balance of power between landlord and tenant. because of the level of insecurity that we face as renters, it's very difficult for us to complain about conditions, let alone take any proper kind of action against landlords. Um, and that means that it's very difficult to enforce high standards, uh, you know, roughly a third of houses in the private rented sector across the UK, um, on, um, don't even meet the government's own, um, decent housing standards. Uh, so problems like, you know, all, th- most renters will be familiar with like gripes like damp, um, which is a sort of perennial problem for renters, but there's more serious things as well. Uh, more serious hazards go kind of undealt with, uh, because of this fundamental imbalance in in the power uh, relationship.
1: So I I imagine that the most heavily exploited uh, people in the private rented sector are recent uh, migrants to the UK. Um, could you say something on on their particular experience as renters?
0: So yes, you're right. Uh, migrants, um, recent migrants, are among the, the people hit hardest by um, housing crisis, and in particular. Um, by the situation in the private rented sector. And that's partly because um, migrants often, it's, for migrants, recent migrants, it's often only the private rented sector that they really have access to. Um, clearly, they lack the resources to, to buy a home often, or in, or in the vast majority of cases. And um, they often don't have a recourse to public funds, which means they can't really get social housing. Um, and even if, even if they were eligible for social housing because of, Social council housing waiting lists. They they often don't, Um, and they're often housed by councils. um, Even when councils do accept responsibility, they're often housed in in private rent. Um, But for those migrants who um, who don't uh, have leave to remain in the UK, the situation's uh, particularly bad because the Tory government introduced a beautifully Orwellian-sounding piece of legislation called Right to Rent, which means that um, landlords. Have to basically check the immigration status of tenants, and clearly they'll only be doing that with tenants who look like they might be recent migrants or undocumented migrants. That is, people who are black or brown, and um, they have to, you know, they have to have to ascertain that they are allowed to be in the UK. Um, and if and if they if landlords let to people who aren't allowed to be in the UK, then they can be fined. Um, so it's essentially turning landlords into border guards.
1: This is uh, all part of the Home Office's uh, hostile migration policy, presumably.
0: Absolutely, it's very much a part of yeah hostile environment um, migration um, policies um, that that May, Theresa May, is an architect of. Um, I mean this this legislation is 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 unpopular among tenants groups and landlord groups actually because you know landlords don't particularly like being turned into border guards, um, but the problem the, the 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 particularly kind of um, uh, insidious thing about this legislation is that what landlords often do is they they actually they ignore it because the enforcement of this legislation is quite weak. Uh, it's quite difficult for 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 um, the authorities to be able to find out um, if landlords are, are letting to people. Although where there's licensing that can happen, I'll come back to that. So, but what landlords often do is they do let to to migrants who are undocumented. But what they'll do is they'll. They'll let them know that um, they they know they're undocumented and they will basically force um, those tenants to accept much, much worse conditions than um, they legally should have to accept, basically. So um, they'll, you know, for example, charge them a lot of rent up front or they won't ever do any repairs or they'll they'll put them in very overcrowded housing situations. And those renters um, will feel very afraid to complain um, because they can be evicted very quickly. And they won't be able to complain about that eviction because that could end in their, them being de- deported. Um, it's worth saying that councils, local authorities kind of collude in this. Um, local authorities are allowed, as I mentioned, to, to have licensing regimes to make landlords um, get a license, although only in quite restricted circumstances. Um, but often this, uh, these licensing schemes are actually used as ways of migration enforcement and they're often paid for by central government um, controlling migration funds. Uh, and so councils will often see their licensing regimes as a way not only of, of rooting out bad landlords but also identifying uh, undocumented migrants uh, who, are, who are renting and, um, the, and and you know they can do ins- they end up doing inspections of properties which, which result in maybe the landlord getting fined, but also the te- the tenant, if the tenant's an undocumented migrant, getting evicted or even deported. Um, so it's a terrible situation. We need to end this right-to-rent legislation, but I think that the, the recent migrants are weak for the reasons that all private renters are, are weak. Um, and so the, the kinds of changes that I was talking about earlier in terms of making tenants more secure by removing no fault eviction powers would 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 really help the weakest tenants including recent migrants the most so,
1: so so regarding organizing renters in in london um what have you found to be the specific barriers and, and difficulties in uh, in trying to do that
0: yeah it's a good question so um yeah there's there's several so first of all i mean and most of them um can be it could be brought back to this problem, could be linked back to this problem of insecurity um, and short tenancies, um, partly because of the the length of tenancies being so short and, and evictions, landlords being very easily able to evict. In London, we have a very transitory population, um, especially in private rent. Um, so in some inner London boroughs, roughly a, uh, there's a, a population churn level of 30 percent, which means, you know, one in three households, the, the population of those households, um, is, is changing every year. Um, and that makes it very, very difficult to do any kind of organising, whether it's community organising or organising renters. That that problem is kind of magnified for renters because they're fragmented. Um, if you're organising on a council estate, uh, you've got everyone in the same geographical area together together with the same landlord, who's the council, sharing roughly the same conditions, and you can and they can talk to each other. Um, with private renters, it's much more difficult. People don't know if they share the same landlord. People often have different landlords, even if they live next door to someone. So so that's that's a kind of almost a physical problem. Um, on top of that, there's the fact that the balance of power, as I mentioned, is so skewed in favor of landlords, structurally in the sense that um, most renters rent from a landlord who just owns one property. So. Whereas in a workplace, you can um, you and all the all the other workers can kind of gang up together against the boss uh, in terms of you know unionizing and, and threatening strike. You can't really do that if you just if there's just one landlord and you're the only tenant, right? So structurally, but also legislatively, landlords um, have more power than way more power than renters in terms of their obligations and their ability to evict. Um, and as I mentioned, this means that um, housing problems are. Kind of become individualized conflicts, that um, depoliticized uh, conflicts. Um, there's also, I mean, linked to that. Um, uh, there's the, the linked to linked to the fact that the the renter population is fragmented. Is the fact that it's also very diverse. So there's been an increase in the private renter population, as I mentioned, and that's come from. As you can say, you could say it's come from. Kind of the top end and the bottom end. Uh, it's come from the top end in the sense that there are kind of growing numbers of young, uh, we could say, middle class people. Um, although I, I increasingly feel like the term middle class is 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 not really adequate to describing kind of class dynamics in Britain. But anyway, we people that we the, the, you know the, whose parents own homes, who are who are educated, who are graduates, who in a previous generation would have wanted to own their own home would have expected to be able to own their own home and now renting. So that's from the top end, from the bottom end, you've had people who a generation ago would have been in social housing, um, but there's, there's not enough social housing. So they're having to rent privately. And it's, it's a challenge to to bring those different social groups together into a coalition and organize them. Um, And my, my sort of perspective on, on renter organizing is that you could say that renters lack, the right to organise and that our fundamental demand should actually be to demand the right to organise. I think it's useful to compare the position of renters with the position of workers. Um, So although there have been loads of attacks on trade unions um, from the Thatcher era onwards and certainly under this government, workers at least do have, in some sense, the right to organise. So they have the right to withhold their labour, that is the right to strike, they have protection from victimisation, it's illegal to sack someone because of trade union activities. They have the right to be recognised, so to represent their workers in negotiations and in legal cases. And there's also a relatively streamlined legal framework for employment law, which makes it possible for unions to represent their members. Now, renters have none of those things. They can't withhold their rent, which is the equivalent of withholding your labour. If you do, you'll get evicted. um, They're not protected from victimisation. Um, the housing act 1988 that i talked about allows landlords to sack, uh, to evict uh, renters for no reason no fault evictions so they can be evicted for complaining or for for renter union activities and renter unions don't have the right to be recognized and there's a, an extremely complex complex legal framework for for housing law and, and for renters particularly um so uh yeah the, the, that those things as a, as a sort of bundle make things really difficult which is why i think that as renters, we should demand um, that the state gives us the right to organise. In other words, gives us the right to withhold our rent, creates a simpler legal framework, protects us from being evicted, um, and that would actually, um, you know, empower renters themselves to to push for kind of greater reforms um, in terms of things like rent and better conditions.
1: So, so on that question of the uh, of that parallel between renters and workers. Um, so, I mean, obviously, in the in the course of the of the nineteenth and, and early twentieth century, uh, workers were able to to move from a situation a, a bit like the one that renters are in, in now, um, where they had virtually no rights whatsoever and uh, no rights whatsoever, and. Um, were eventually able to secure sufficient rights so that they could then use the new leverage that they acquired to build on those rights and to and to win further gains um, i wonder if the uh if the comparison falls down in in terms of the the different conditions that workers in that era found themselves in and and that renters find themselves in today um i mean as you as you say renters are extremely atomized they don't have organic links with one another whereas um industrial workers were brought into contact with each other in in factories and, and shipyards and so on and, and there were more more obvious points of leverage that they could use uh going on strike most uh, most obviously um Uh, Given that in in some ways it seems more challenging to to organise renters, and and as we see today that the unions have found it extremely difficult to organise precarious workers who who are perhaps in a situation which is much more uh, analogous with that of private renters, Um, how do you actually achieve those minimal gains that that are going to be needed to enable any sort of further struggle? Yeah, indeed.
0: I mean that that is right. I think that um, yeah, the the, the situation of, of renters, unfortunately, in many ways is uh, is um, is a lot worse. Um, their position is weaker than than um, that for workers. Um, uh, however, of course, it is worth bearing in mind that workers themselves were you with know, the trade union movement certainly in this country. Did, did actually uh, organise um, precarious workers, workers who were in an, uh, an extremely weak situation, um, thinking about, say, the dock strikes, for example, in the late 19th century. Um, it's precisely those kinds of worker struggles that actually gave rise to, um, you know, essentially gave rise to the labour movement as we know it today. Um, but you're right, um, and the, the re- there are particular challenges, Um in certainly within the London Renters Union, which I'm I'm a member of, and um, uh, although uh, again you know there are there are lots of people who um, who have much more knowledge about the work of LRU than I do, but my um, w- one thing that I've noticed is there are discussions around um, how the lessons of social movement unionism um, can be brought to bear on renter organising. So social movement unionism is a kind of school of thought and practice emerged in the context of the authoritarian regimes of Latin America that were also neoliberal, um, ultra-capitalist regimes. So in that context, workers um, didn't, didn't have collective institutions that they were, as you say, kind of anchored to because those institutions had been destroyed. They were extremely precarious. There were very few political avenues for them to, um, to, to build through. Um, And so uh, they were forced to um, to build alliances with other groups and movements. They were forced to do, you know, lots of work in terms of bringing people together um, where they were fragmented and isolated. Um, They were forced to be, you know, in a way they were forced to be extremely militant and and bring themselves into confrontation with the state because it was the state which was involved um, in uh, unlike in a liberal democratic regime in in sustaining their precarity and their weakness. And in some ways, although the situation for renters, say, in Britain, is very different from, from workers and peasants in Latin America, there are some similarities in the sense that we have, um, we have uh, you know, the state is involved in keeping us weak. Um, we are fragmented and we're forced to build alliances and we don't have any existing institutions to work through, so we need to build them. So, so I think uh, that's a kind of long way of introducing the point that I think what we need to start with is is actually what's already going on in renter organising, um, into including in London where London Renters Union have been organising for um, since the beginning of two thousand eighteen, in in Newham and Lewisham, and what we've been doing um, is is basically trying to politicise and collectivise uh, what are seen as kind of individualised problems by renters. And this involves basically. Producing community and and creating institutions where they're lacking. So, for example, if renters have problems with their landlords, well, first you have to find out about those problems. So you need to do loads of outreach. You need to reach them. You need to do stalls in town centres. You need to door knock. You need to find out where renters are. Um, When you find find them, you need to uh, to have a, a, a system of keeping in touch with them, so you can find out what problems they're experiencing. When they do experience problems, for example. Getting a trying to get a landlord to do a repair, you politicise and collectivise that problem by um, writing a letter to the landlord in the name of the union. Uh, if the, if you still don't get anything, escalating by maybe taking getting a group of people down with a banner and embarrassing that letting agent or embarrassing that landlord into action, and this has had results. Um, you know, in a number of cases, it's very very painstaking, uh, labour intensive work, but it it does eventually get get the goods. And I should say that groups like Acorn. Have been doing the same elsewhere in terms of yeah producing this community and producing institutions and and politicizing problems. Another thing I think that, that we have to do to build power as as a rent as a rentist movement is is to actually is to be unashamedly political and engage with the state and, and and confront the state in terms of trying to win reforms, which as I said before are needed in order to strengthen our position to organise in future. So particularly at the moment, I'm involved in trying to build a campaign to abolish no-fault evictions. That is the ability of landlords to kick us out without a reason. And um, renter unions, uh, including London Renters Union, are involved in that campaign. And, um, you know, th- this is seen as something very, very key and very, very important. And I think the renter movement in, in the UK is, is, is increasingly looking at how it can leverage its power to 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 get change at the level of the state in order to strengthen our position um and yeah so this this campaign has had the involvement from several different renter organizations including lru and acorn we've got managed to get some you know political uh change and response already which maybe we can can go on to talk about and um it it, it makes it makes potential recruits it makes renters realize that you can uh, you can win change the the situation is—it's uh, not inevitable. Uh, things haven't always been this way. They could be different. They are different in other countries, and that's your sort of that. That uh, when you, when you get to that level, you can you can start to build a movement, and uh, and as I say, win those legislative changes to 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 strengthen the movement further.
1: So, regarding the people that you're working with and and trying to organise. Um, I suppose that for, for all the time that I've been politically aware, and, and I imagine the same is, is true for yourself, uh, the, the trajectory around everything to do with housing and, and workers' rights as well has, has just been generally downwards. Um, conditions just seem to deteriorate. Uh, the power of the of the rentier class seems to just constantly increase. G- given that context, uh, how easy is it to convince people that that's not an inevitable trajectory and, and that it is possible to not merely act defensively uh, and. To, to slow down the the the, the process of uh, of, a, of a sort of historical defeat but but to actually go and win new rights and and to actually improve material conditions
0: yeah it's a good question um well um, it isn't easy um as your question implies uh and I think a crucial a crucial problem is the fact that at least a generation of people have only ever of renters that is have only known this level of precarity and and didn't know that things used to be different. So uh, in that sense, kind of political education does become very important. Um, talking about the fact that things used to be different, they are different in other countries, renters have a lot more security, talking about how rent control could actually work, um, for example, and does work in other countries, and how tenants can have much more security in other countries um, is is a huge part of it. Um, the response has been, has been, I'd say, surprisingly good. Um, and I think, to be honest, that is partly a product of the desperation, which, which again, your, your question alludes to the fact that, you know, people are very aware there's a housing crisis um, on a personal level and also a political level. They know this and um, their their own housing situation, has you know, for many people has got to the point where they don't see themselves as being able to escape the rent trap and, and buy somewhere, which would have been the case 30 years ago. Because if you think that you are going to eventually own a home in the you know the next five years, then perhaps you don't bother trying to improve your conditions in you, in your rented flat. You you just get out of it, right? You try and you know you think oh, I'm going to save the money. It's okay. I won't bother complaining about my you know my my bad landlord and my bad conditions. But because I, I think there's a generation of people who who begin to think, well, maybe I'm not going to own a home. And and it's worth mentioning. Added to that, there are there's of course a section of people who. Who never really thought they'd own a home, who, who um, uh, that, for, for whom that was never a realistic aspiration, particularly in somewhere like London. For these people, you know, they they are confronted with the fact that they have to do something about their situation if they uh, if they wanted to change. And so, um, actually, once we've once we have reached people and we've um, told them about the support they can we can offer, and um, we've shown that we can get some results, and people have responded well, um, and the numbers have grown. Um, it is difficult. I don't want to overstate. I don't want to overstate how easy it is to organize renters because it's not. But, uh, you know, London Renters Union, for example, has now 350 members, which isn't bad at all. Um, it's it's a good start. And the more we grow and begin to win struggles, I think that renters will, especially those renters who who see their situation uh, of, of renting not as a temporary one, but as one they'll be be, be stuck with for a long time will start to sort of come on board and be more active. It's also also worth saying, I suppose, that, you know, um, renters tend to be on average um, that younger than than the general population average, um, although there are increasing numbers of older renters too. And we know that young people are, are the people who have been drawn to a range of progressive causes recently, including labor um, and the Corbyn movement. Um, and then before that, Occupy environmentalism and, and, and so on and, Lots of data shows that that uh, yeah, young, particularly young graduates uh, are the most up for getting involved in various kinds of political activity, and so yeah, uh, those people are beginning to think of their situation as renters as something worth organising around. So yeah, so there are some uh, there, there are some um, some signs that that renters are, are responding.
1: Regarding the political class, um, obviously the the Labour Party and a Corbyn are, are committed to quite an extensive program of, of, of social housing building, and and they've also made positive noises about rent control. The, the Tories are in this uh, this strange sort of situation now, where it's kind of impossible for them not to acknowledge that there is a housing crisis, but they're also unable to do anything about it because if they if they were to embark on a large house building program. Uh, they'd bring down the house prices of a, of a core part of their own electoral coalition. Um, and there's also obviously resistance to to building on the green belt amongst uh, the conservative uh, grassroots. Um, uh, uh, what, what is your view of the, of the way that the two main parties have responded to this crisis?
0: Yeah, I think, I think your summary is, is of where the parties are at is, is basically accurate. I mean, for the last in terms of renters for the last, say, 30 years or so, um, uh, that renters have, have been ignored really by by both right and left and um, for different reasons. So for the right, I guess, renters are, are, are soon to be homeowners um, or people that we want to be homeowners. And so um, they, their, their, their issues and their concerns you know, don't really need to be addressed in their own right. We just maybe we need to help them be able to buy a house. But beyond that. Um, they're not a group of people that we need to worry about, particularly for the left. Um, I would say uh, in, in some of my experiences and still today, um, renters are still ignored by the left for different reasons. And that's because the left is fixated on social housing for very good reason, wants to build more social housing. And so actually thinks that um, private renters will more or less disappear as a, as a group because we'll build so much social housing that, um, that there won't be anyone in private rent. Um, the problem with that, of course, is that uh, while that might be absolutely the goal um, in the long term and one that I'd certainly sign up to, um, in the short term, you've, you, you know, it's going to take a very long time to build enough social housing um, for all the people currently renting. So, you know, you need to do something for them uh, in in the interim, um, clearly. Um, so um, and it's worth mentioning as well that, that building more social housing isn't isn't so easy and it's extremely expensive, partly to do with issues to do with land. Actually reforming the private rented sector would, would cost nothing. If you made tenants secure, then they you, you know you improve uh, the situation of loads, of loads of people overnight. Anyway. So I do think that's changing though, however, renters are, are now starting to become basically more politically powerful. um, since our numbers have doubled, as I said, um, in a decade, we're a very crucial political constituency. Um, And tied to that, of course, the renter movement itself is growing. Um, In terms of Labour, well, I mean, there's been some really, really good stuff from Labour, from the Corbyn leadership in particular. Um, There's been talk about rent control and the party being committed to that. Um, They have... At least in in some pronouncements, uh, come out against Section 21. That is no fault evictions. They've they've basically said implied they would abolish them. Although we still need to see a bit more in that. Um, I would yeah, I'd say still they see social housing as the key thing, and and you know symbolically and historically it's very important for labour, and that's that's fair enough. But um, there's still some movement to be done to get renters to sorry labour to take renters' concerns a bit more seriously and really work out. What their policy is going to be on rent control? How are they going to do it? For example, that's something I know that they haven't, they haven't yet come up with like a proper a proper plan of how they would do rent control. Um, for the Tories, it, it's quite interesting, really. Um, and my yeah, my impression's changed since I've got a bit more involved in housing activism. Um, it, as you say, uh, the, the, the Tories understands that. Um, the, they they have done really poorly among younger voters um, recently, particularly in two thousand seventeen when they had that shock loss of their majority. And they and I think they think you know at various levels of the Tory party people think that housing is one of the key reasons for that. Um, and so, partly for that reason, they are actually moving to reform things. Um, I should say as well, this isn't. I don't think this is just opportunism. There's there's also some Tories like this guy Neil O'Brien who's he's actually he's quite an interesting character he's a ultra neoliberal but he was work, and he was a george osborne special advisor but he has produced a report recently where he's come out and say and said that the state has given buy to let landlords uh, preferential treatment and it's actually stopped people by being able to buy houses to live in so we need to we need to do that so there were, there were sort of ideological reasons for the tories changing their views on rent but they have they've 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 created they've they've made some very very tentative moves towards um, you know protecting and improving the situation for renters. so uh, removing some of the tax advantages for buy to let landlords, for example, uh, allowing the expansion of landlord licensing um, to different boroughs, uh, local authorities to allow them to license uh, make landlords get licenses. They've talked about introducing longer tenancies of maybe three years, although it's not clear exactly how they'll do that. And they're also going to ban letting agents fees, uh, at least in one form or another. There might be some loopholes in that ban. But this is, you know, this is progress. And it's partly, as I say, because they want to, they're scared of what's hap- what Labour are doing, which is increasingly, um, you know, monopolising the young vote. But it's also partly because they realise that, you know, ha- the, ha- the housing crisis is actually a crisis for the economy as well. And, you uh, you know, improving the situation of private renters can be part of a package of, uh, you know, deflating the housing bubble um, to some extent, or at least um, as Neil O'Brien, this this Tory but who I mentioned, uh, said in his report, uh, getting some some of the money that's currently invested in housing, um, rerouted to more productive areas. Um, I should say as well, despite all this, is still you know landlords still receive favourable treatment. In policy terms, definitely um, compared to other countries, um, and uh, you know there's very, very weak regulation of the private rented sector. But yeah, things, things, things are moving um, from in terms of both main political parties.
1: What's been the response from landlords to the kind of organising and political action that you've been involved in?
0: Yeah, so landlords generally, I think, have tried at least um, over the last uh, you know 20, 30 years or so um have tried to keep a, a fairly low profile politically. They do have, you know, they're quite well organized into different kind of lobbying associations um, and interest groups and so on. Um, but they've, they don't, you know, generally caught attention, I think, <laughs> largely because, you know, they're aware that they're not a liked group, right? You know, no one likes, mm-hmm. no one really likes private landlords. Uh, but because there have been um, some, you know, as I say, quite tentative moves to remove some of their advantages uh, and their favorable treatment. They have been reacting um, with, you know, a kind of mixture of rage and hysteria. I would say that's true of both their organizations and kind of some individual landlords who I see commenting on this stuff um, on social media and so on. Um, uh, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I guess like the, the, the classic, the, the typical landlord in, in Britain, um, and this, I think, accounts for some of the kind of intensity of the reaction. He's not a very rich person. Um, well, there are some, of course, there are some rich landlords and some corporate landlords, but a lot of landlords just own one or two properties. And there's so, in that sense, they're kind of a, a classic sort of pe- petty bourgeois class fraction with the, you know very very much petty bourgeois sentiments. Um so the reaction that you'll often get is this, you know, horrified. It's my property that that you know is totally illegitimate for the state to. To restrict my ability to dispose of my property as I see fit even if that means you know giving someone else that is my tenant more rights Um, so they they very jealously defend the privileges and advantages that they they do have Um, and you know to some extent I have some sympathy because as I say because most are small landlords for a lot of people the income they get from rent um, will be helping to save them a retirement income and so on in other words Helping to kind of give them some of the, uh, you know, class advantages that that their counterparts thirty years ago, or uh, or more, forty years ago would have had without having to um, without having to get into the buy-to-let game. So have a, a you know a very limited uh, amount of sympathy with them. And there's also it's also true. It's worth mentioning that um, there's some there's some truth to their their claims that they're being a bit attacked from all sides. Um, And in particular,ly respect to the Tories who have, you know, historically defended um, landlords, particularly because a lot of Tory MPs are themselves landlords. They've they've started, as I say, they've they've made some very minor moves, some very tentative moves towards towards trying to um, improve renter security and um, trying to weaken some of the advantages that landlords enjoy. Very very tentative and mild. Um, And I think they felt able to do that because landlords aren't actually particularly strong section of, of uh, the polity politically, they're, they're a weak section of, of capital, you could say, um, unlike in some countries where the market's dominated by big corporate landlords. And so, um, yeah, they, they react with the, uh, yeah, the, the sort of, their reaction has a, an element of fear in it, because they, they sense that um, they are something of an easy target. And yeah, I mean, my hope is that if we get a Corbyn government, um, that, that, that we'll really see some moves. Um, to you know, deflate the buy-to-let market and in- improve renter security. And then landlords will really have something to whine about.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting point you make about that sense of, uh, of feeling under attack from all sides that, that as you say, landlords experience um, and that more general sense of economic anxiety that uh, that the petty bourgeois class uh, experiences. Um I mean, it's a bit off topic, but it it, it makes me think of uh, of the election of Donald Trump in America and uh, that sort of, of liberal take on the question of of economic anxiety as uh, as an explanatory factor in his election. Um, so there was an article in Vox that I I remember reading that was being shared around on social media, and the argument it was making, which which seems to be related to to that sort of. Uh, a classically liberal aversion to, to thinking about material conditions and, and how and how they shape the political field. And the argument it was making was that it, it simply couldn't be the case that Trump's election was related to economic anxiety and to the changes in the American economy uh, following the, the financial crisis, um, because the average Trump voter is is comparatively well off. So, you know, uh, property owners, small business owners, and, and so on. Um, and, and so therefore, economic anxiety couldn't be a factor, but as you're pointing to here, it, it's just that it's a different sort of economic anxiety from what people lower down the social Social scale experience, uh, but it's still you know a real thing nonetheless. And 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 obviously historically, um, uh, no, not that I want to say that uh, that landlords are, are fascists necessarily, um, but uh, but that's the class basis of, of fascism, right? The, the the petty bourgeoisie and the, and the small uh, you know the small business owners and, and so on.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yes. Uh, And I guess we could say that uh, economic precarity and insecurity affects different kind of class fractions in different ways. And I I, yeah. So, yes, clearly landlords are not they are a privileged class. There's no doubt about that. They're Mm -hmm. relatively wealthy people. But um, relative to their own expectations of how their life should be, perhaps relative to what their parents life was like. You know, I think a lot of landlords are actually you know, do feel themselves to be being squeezed a bit. Um, they, they're experiencing, you know, an increase in, in prices and things like, like everyone else and, and they're reliant. And I do think this, 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 this point about elderly care is, is really crucial here. Um, because this is something that obviously costs can cost literally hundreds of thousands of pounds. And so anyone who doesn't, who, for whom hundreds of thousands of pounds, isn't like small change is affected by the fact that the nursing home care for the elderly is extremely expensive. And they, you know, very very little of it is paid for by the state, and and the and a lot of landlords that you talk to say, well, that's what my property is for. It's not because I'm an evil capitalist. Um, and so yeah, so they and they are you know, so they do have some real, I'm not going to say legitimate, but some real kind of concerns and insecurities. Um, and um, uh, even yeah, even even at the same time as being a relatively privileged group, I would say.
1: You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. If you enjoy the show, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. You can also follow on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Poll Theory Other. And if you really like the show, please do consider donating to the Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Poll Theory Other. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.